Good morning, Gateway. Have I told you I love you recently? (laughs) I love you, and so do Norm and Aaron, and it's a privilege for us to serve with you here in this city. Love the city of Winnipeg. And I have uh, three young men with me today who are going to read the scriptures for us in a minute. I want to welcome them. Why don't you just stand up? I'll introduce you. This is Joseph. Joseph and uh, Nathan, or, uh, sorry, Matthew Frank are uh, taking our internship program. And this is my nephew, David, Davy McLean's uh, son. And uh, he's with us for the weekend. He's the Jeffrey's nephew as well. So uh, we want to give them a warm welcome. Well, we're in a series, as uh, Norm said, to be or not to be the church. And uh, I want to begin this morning by reading you some church bulletin bloopers. You guys can have a seat for a sec. Church bulletin bloopers. These are uh, actual mistakes made in real church bulletins. Have you ever noticed a mistake in our bulletins here? Never. Never. Overheads, definitely, but never the mistakes. We actually, uh, I don't know how it happened, but Brian Dirksen, well, Brian Dirks, a famous worship leader, and he was leading worship one Sunday. And for whatever reason, the front of the bulletin had vision statement, gateway, we are sorry. Somebody put an apology in the wrong place. And Brian Dirksen said, wow, I love your vision statement. <laughs> I said, what does it say? He said, we are sorry. I thought, oh, man. I'm sure he tells that story all over the world. Anyway, we've made our mistakes in bulletins. Here's some other people who have made mistakes. Our youth basketball team is back in action Wednesday at 8 p.m. in the recreation hall. Come out and watch us kill Christ the King. (laughs) The peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict. Low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7 p.m. Please use the back door. The pastor would appreciate it if the ladies of the congregation would lend him their electric girdles for the pancake breakfast next Sabbath. Here's a real typo. Ushers will eat latecomers. I don't know whether it meant meet, greet, or beat latecomers. An evening service tonight. The sermon topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. The women of the church have cast off clothing of every kind. They may be seen in the basement on Friday afternoon. (laughs) These are all true. Weight watchers will meet at 7 p.m. at the First Presbyterian Church. Please use the large double doors at the side entrance. (laughs) The cost of the fasting and prayer conference includes meals. (laughs) Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around. Don't forget your husbands. Here's one of my favorites. Don't let the worry kill you. Let the church help. (laughs) The senior choir invites any member of the congregation who enjoys sinning to join the choir. Just a G for an N. Please join us as we show our support for Amy and Alan in preparing for the girth of their first child. Here's my all-time favorite. Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be speaking tonight at Calvary Methodist. 
come here, Bertha Belch, all the way from Africa. <laughs> the sermon this morning, Jesus walks on the water. The sermon this evening, searching for Jesus. <laughs> for those who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. And the last one, Irving Benson and Jesse Carter were married on October 24th in the church. So ends a friendship that began in their school days. <laughs> oh, you have to love the church, don't you? The Bible tells us there's only one capital C church. And Jesus Christ is the living head and we make up his living body from every people and every tribe and every language. The Bible tells us that Jesus' church is not a building. It's not a denomination. It's not even an organization. It's a living organism. Last week, Norm talked about Jesus' church being people. It's relationships. It's community. It's family. It's belonging. Jesus' church is the most powerful force on planet Earth. It's supernatural. It's heavenly. It's God's kingdom and Christ's rule and reign coming out of heaven and being manifest here on earth. And today I want to take a few minutes and talk about what does it mean for you and I to be the church. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read the first 14 verses together, and my assistants, my partners in the gospel this morning, are going to come and read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. God has decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing him onto himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted us to do and gave him and, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has, uh, he has poured out onto us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in, in his kindness and his grace mm -hmm. that he purchased our our freedom with his blood of, the, of his son and forgave our sins. Hmm. Verse 8. That he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, hmm. which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen 
having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, mm. in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you were, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for this rich, rich passage of Scripture. Thank you for the incredible truth that's wrapped up in this. And we thank you that you're going to open the eyes of our understanding this morning to see and to receive. We pray that Christ would be exalted. We pray, Lord, your church would be edified and strengthened and equipped. And we pray your kingdom would advance through us for your glory. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Becoming a Saint. Verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, To the, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. You know, the Catholic Church has done us a great disservice in the whole concept of the saints, or actually it's the canonization of the saints. To become a saint in the Catholic Church, you have to have lived a selfless, benevolent life, completely devoted to God, and you must have performed at least two bona fide miracles And then you have to hope for the best. Because after you die, it'll be down to the Pope and the bishops to actually determine whether you become a saint or not. In fact, they don't actually make you a saint. They just say they recognize that what God has already done. The Catholic Church has about 3,000 saints. And the latest two are Francisco and Jacinta Marto from Fatima, Portugal who were made saints by Pope Francis in May of this year. But Paul writes to the Ephesians church and says to all the believers, to the saints. Apparently, the Bible tells us that all the church is made up of all saints. The word saint, the Greek word hagios, literally means a holy one or someone who is set apart or separated. It just means separated, set apart. We were sinners separated from God by our sin, but Jesus separated us from our sin back to God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, Paul says, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. You were separated, dead spiritually, set apart from God in your sins. But then he goes on in verse 12 and says, you were separated from Christ, but now in Christ you've been brought near to God. Saint means being separated from our sin and restored back to relationship with the living God. 
Saint also means to be separated from guilt and from judgment and from the wrath of God. And saint also means to be separated from the world. In Galatians 1 and verse 4, the scripture said, Christ died to deliver us from this present evil age. In John 17, verse 11 and 14, Jesus is praying to the Father and he prays that his disciples and us would be in the world, but not of the world. Being a saint means being separated from the world, separated in our thinking, our feeling, our outlook, our conversations, our behavior. In fact, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a separated, set-apart people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's another separation out of darkness into God's light. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. It means to live a life separated from the world and set apart to God. It's not about blending in. I hope you are not committed in any way to blending into our culture or this world because you're fighting against God in your life. We have not been called to blend in. We've been called to stand up, stand out, speak up, speak out because we're holy ones. Jesus has set us apart. But it's not about being weird either. It's not about driving a horse and buggy and not having any chrome. It's not about wearing certain kind of clothes and putting your hair in a different kind. That's a whole aberration of what it means to be holy and set apart. It means to be like Jesus. And Jesus was not weird. Jesus was very attractive. People gravitated to Jesus it means being different in an attractive kind of way, loving people, serving people, being kind to people, caring for people, being generous to people. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, a miracle has happened to you. And if you're here this morning or you're listening on the internet and there's never been a definitive moment in your life where you've said yes to Jesus, you can do that today. And Jesus will do a miracle in your life. When we say yes to Jesus, his Holy Spirit comes into our bodies and he takes our spirit, which has been dead and separated to God, and he unites it with the resurrected Christ. And a miracle takes place. We're born again. The Bible says we are a new creation. We're not a souped-up old one. We're a brand-new creation in Christ. And we're set apart. We're set apart from all that was, 
And we're joined to all that's new in Christ. We're forgiven. We're cleansed. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. We don't earn it. It's ours. It's like a garment we put on. It's a verdict that God says, righteous. And then we walk through the process of sanctification and and how we grow into that and, and let his righteousness work out in our lives. You are set apart. You are a saint. Now, I want you to turn to someone and say, I am a saint. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't really believe that about you. (laughs) And I don't really believe that about me. Because our picture of a saint is the stained glass window. And that's not biblical. We become a saint in Christ. And somehow we've been duped, brainwashed about this. Oh, Mother Teresa's a saint. No. If your four-year-old has surrendered their life to Christ, they are a saint. But they don't behave like a saint. That's not the point. The point is, they are a saint. And so are you if you said yes to Jesus. And saints have two addresses. Verse 1 says, To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying, These saints have two geographical addresses. They are in Ephesus, which was a city in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And they're in Christ spiritually. This morning, if you're a saint, you have two addresses. You are in Winnipeg. And you are in Christ Jesus. Our new residence is in Christ. And 12 times in these 14 verses these young men read to us is the phrase, in Christ, in him, by Christ, through Christ. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, 36 times the Apostle Paul uses that little phrase, in Christ, through Christ, by Christ. In Christ means we're joined to Christ. We're united in Christ and with Christ. Colossians 3 verse 3 says, We have died and our life is hid with Christ in God. Hidden, surrounded, enveloped. Romans 5 and 6 unpacks this. Romans 5 says, All are in Adam. That means we're all a part of Adam. We're all joined to Adam. And that means Adam's actions brought consequences to us as well. And the Bible calls those consequences sin. We have inherited, joined, we're connected to Adam, every one of us. 
and all the consequences of Adam's disobedience. But Romans 6 goes on and says, now you're in Christ. Now you're crucified with Christ. You're buried with Christ. You're raised with Christ. You're exalted with Christ. You're seated with Christ. You're united with Christ. It's a mystical union, but it's real and it's vital and it's vibrant. Christ is our living head and we are his living body. All that Christ is now is true of us. That's fantastic. John 1 verse 16 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And I want to give you ten of those fullnesses that only come in Christ. And they're right here in verses 3 to verse 14. What is the fullness of Christ that we have received. Well, there's at least 10, but verses 3 to 14 definitely give us 10. The first one is, verse 3, we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, everyone enjoys God's common blessings. Whether you're a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, an atheist, whatever you are, everyone on planet earth enjoys God's common blessings. The blessings of creation. The blessings of gravity and air and breath and life. But only in Christ do we have spiritual blessings. In Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's amazing. That's overwhelming. What are some of those spiritual blessings? Access to his presence. To the throne, which is the authority of all the universe. Good, what else? Forgiveness. Oh, it's awful, isn't it, to carry around the guilt and shame of having done something wrong. Does that ever happen to you in your marriage? But when your wife, when Ivy forgives you, occasionally, When she forgives you, it's almost worth going through all the trouble. It's such a wonderful feeling. It's like you're free again. A weight falls off us. Yes, forgiveness. What else? The Holy Spirit, God, comes and lives in this styrofoam cup. Chipped, cracked, leaks, broken, bent. What else? Peace. Salvation. Redemption. Adoption. Sanctification. Joy. Love. Grace. Every spiritual blessing 
in heavenly places. You have access to this morning. And I do. Where? In Christ. Well, the second one we find in verse 4, it's chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit met in an eternal council and were concerned about you and me. It wasn't, they, 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 they planned not only creation, they also planned our salvation before the foundation of the world. Salvation wasn't an afterthought. Man didn't sin and, the, and, and God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit go, oh my goodness, what are we going to do now? Come on, we need a plan. We need a plan. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, before the foundation of the world, before there was any man, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had a council. And they said, set out the plan for salvation. They were thinking about you and me. Your life is not random. Your life is not empty. Your life is not purposeless or aimless. You've been chosen before the world was ever created. And what a glory that is to God. The plan of salvation actually magnifies the greatness of God more than if it had never happened. Because God's taken brokenness and restored it, defeated evil and rebellion, and brought it into adoption and family. Verse 5 says, We've been predestined and adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Romans 8 says we haven't received a spirit of slavery by which we fear, but we've received a spirit of adoption by which we cry, Daddy. Amazing. We can call the almighty creator of the universe, Daddy. We have uh, two grandsons, Jack, who's uh, four months old and doesn't talk yet. And then we have Sultan, who's three years old, and he's a Uyghur. He comes from China. We adopted his mom and dad into our family spiritually because they were students and had no family here. And then they got married, and then they had a son. And a few weeks ago, I was worshiping up at the other congregation, and I was standing there singing, and I heard this little voice that said, Grandpa. And I looked down, and there's little Sultan with his arms raised saying, Grandpa. Oh, my heart melted. (laughs) I grabbed him. I just wanted to hug him and kiss him. He so melted my heart just to hear that name, Grandpa. (laughs) 
much more does our heavenly father, when he hears your voice, say, Daddy, Father, he loves to hear your voice. I just got a little taste, a little microscopic taste of the heart of Father God. And then verse 6 goes on and says, Blessed with glorious grace. Grace is that unmerited, undeserved favor. We can't earn it, but it's so much more than that. It's God's love directed towards those who deserve the opposite. But it's way more than that. It's God's powerful presence enabling us to be all that we are created to be and to do all that we've been called to do. It's God himself coming and acting in our lives. That's why Philippians 2 says, God is at work in you. That's grace. To make you willing and able to obey him. And that God would equip us with everything good to do his will. And we'll come back to that at the end. That's blessed, glorious grace. And then verse 7 says that we're redeemed and forgiven in him through his blood. Verse 9 and 10 says that all things have been united through Christ and in Christ. In Christ, your marriage can be united. Your family can be united. In Christ, tribes can be united. In Christ, nations can be united. Verse 11 says we've received an inheritance in Christ. And verse 13 says we've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit in Christ, guaranteeing that inheritance. You know that word sealed actually means ownership. And it can be translated engagement ring. We have been given an engagement ring in the Holy Spirit which has sealed Christ's ownership of us. Leith, how long have you and Lindsay been married? Thank you, Lindsay. I'm glad you remembered. Just seemed like forever and ever and ever. Leaf's never had any other existence. <coughs> Four months. And Leaf, was there a time where you give Lindsay an engagement ring? When was that? Oh, so she had an engagement ring for almost a year. That's awesome. Do you know what happened when you put that engagement ring on her finger? You sealed the wedding. You sealed the ownership of belonging. And when the Holy Spirit, when we receive the Holy Spirit, he's the engagement ring that God says, you belong to me 
And I promise I'm coming back to give you the inheritance that I have for you. Being in Christ is becoming a saint. And it ought to awaken worship. All the fullness in Christ results in an incredible eruption of praise and worship. And we see that in verse 3, where the Apostle Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he erupting in praise? Because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 6, he goes on and he says, to the praise of his glorious grace. And then in verse 12 and verse 14, he repeats that phrase, to the praise of his glory. This little passage, verses 1 to 14, is one of the richest passages in all of the New Testament. Because it just says over and over and over again what Christ has done for us. And who we are in Christ. And then it's interspersed with praise and worship and adoration. That's what it means to be a saint. And why does Paul erupt in praise and worship? Because deep and meaningful worship and praise come from deep, meaningful understanding of doctrine and theology. Understanding who God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit is and what they have done. The key is understanding. And Paul says that in Ephesians 1 verse 17 to 19 where he says the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God that the eyes of your heart might be opened to see what is the hope of this calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in his saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe you are a saint because your life is in Christ and your life is rich beyond measure because of the fullness of Christ in your life. Now becoming a saint is easy. Staying a saint is a challenge. And I want to end by talking for a few minutes about how do we stay a saint? How do we remain a saint? How do we abide a saint? How do we stay a saint and fuel true passionate worship? And I hope you realize worship is not what we do at the beginning of a meeting. That's singing. We call it worship. We call Sophie the worship leader. We call the musicians the worship team. It's a very small part of worship. In fact, it should be called worship in music. It's good, it's right, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, but it's not the essence of worship. The essence of worship is how we live our lives. The essence of worship is Monday to Saturday and Sunday. It's worship is how we listen to the sermon. If we're on our phone because the preacher is boring, 
and we're texting people, that is not worship. In fact, that, that's pretty serious. It's about as serious as driving your car and texting because it dishonors God. Worship is all of life. Worship is what kind of a husband or a wife I am, what kind of a father, what kind of a worker I am, how I live my life 24 hours a day. That's worship. And that's what Jesus called us to. So how do we stay a saint and how do we fuel true, passionate, Christ-exalting worship? Well, Jesus tells us in John 15, and you'll be familiar with this. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you remain in me, in Christ, and my words remain in you, when you pray, you're going to be praying into my will and I am going to answer your prayers. And then in verse 10, he goes on and says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It's not enough to get in Christ. Jesus said we're to remain in Christ. And it's the remaining and the abiding and the staying in Christ that fuels the life of a saint. Passionate. Sacrificial, joyful. Full of all the benefits of Jesus and those spiritual blessings. So, I want to leave you with three ways we abide in Christ. Three ways we remain in our sainthood. Number one, devotion. Devotion is just simply spending time with Jesus. And Jesus said, if you spend time with me and my words get into you, you can ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. You know, as I talk with people and as I look over my own life, I think one of the greatest challenges of any saint is having a consistent, rich, full, devotional life with Jesus. It's the hardest thing for a pastor. I'll just let you in on something. Pastors are some of the worst people when it comes to devotional life. Is that true? Not, not our pastors, of course. Just in general. Because we're so busy meeting the needs of other people and answering calls and we're responders to emergencies, we're rescuers, that we can step over our relationship with the Lord. But Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will be powerful. So, 
having a devotional life, consistent, rich, I don't mean reading the daily bread. Reading the daily bread is better than doing nothing. It's better than reading the daily news. But reading the daily bread is not going to make you a rich, deep, solid, enduring saint in Jesus Christ. It's just superficial. It's shallow. It skims along the surface. It's like drinking out of mud puddles instead of having a well of living water that's flowing from within you. So I want to give you some very practical steps this morning of how do you do that? How do you have a rich, powerful, passionate, devotional life? Number one, get a place and schedule a time. Make a date. If you schedule a time in your diary, if you have an appointment with someone, you'll usually keep it. But we often don't do that with Jesus. We try and fit him in if we have time. So scheduling a time. And we have a a prayer furnace, which is a beautiful gift to Gateway and to the city of Winnipeg because you have a place. If you have no other place, you have a place there and you can write an appointment in and say, oh no, I have to go to the prayer furnace. Oh, I've made a commitment. Off you go. But when you come out, you don't go in the same way. You come out going, oh, Lord, that was so rich. I think I'm going to double my time. We had a guy last week, two weeks ago. He went to the prayer furnace for the very first time. And he texted me right after he was finished. He said, that was amazing. He said, I loved it. I met God. I interpreted a tongue for the very first time in my life. The presence of God is so powerful in that place. He said, I'm doubling my time next week. An hour wasn't long enough. I thought, praise the Lord. Secondly, be consistent. Be habitual. Don't try and run a marathon if you haven't trained for it. Just do a little bit. Ten minutes consistently is better than trying to do an hour once a month. Ten minutes every day or every other day or even even ten minutes once a week. If you do that consistently for a year, I guarantee you'll have success. Because Jesus promised, if we're faithful with little, we'll be faithful with much. Thirdly, study the word. Journal the word. Don't just read. Reading's good, but reading's not enough. Journal. Study. We, we have a bunch of devices. If you want one on your phone, you can download an app called Replicate. Replicate. We can help you with it. If you want a book, we have life journals. They take you through the Bible in a year. You have to read four chapters a day. The, the replicate, you only uh, do it five days a week so you can catch up. It's only two chapters a day. Anybody can do this. But the key is journaling. And there's a bunch of acronyms. Basically, they all fall under the same thing. What's the scripture saying? What's the scripture saying to me? And how do I obey it? You see... The Christian life is not information-based. It's obedient-based. It's not how much information. I, 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 I don't like it when people say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that, I know that, I know that. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. The issue isn't do you know it. The issue is are you doing what you know? If you're doing what you know, that's obedience-based. Mary, I just want to, give a little testimony about my wife Mary 
Larry's a worship leader. She's uh, uh, overseen the worship ministry for 11 years here, but she's been a worship leader for at least two and a half decades. And she has a gift for worship, as Amber does, and, and, and uh, Sophie, sorry. I wanted to call you Zoe, but I know it's not Zoe. <laughs> Sophie, sorry, Sophie. Sophie's a worship leader, and, and Kleber's a worship leader, and we got lots of worship leaders. Mary's a worship leader, but she got really interested in the Word a few years ago. She always did her devotions, but she got really interested in the Word, and she started to study the Word. And then she'd be asking me questions. Hey, what do you think this means in the Scripture? And so I'd tell her what I think. She says, well, actually, I think it means this. I'm thinking, how do you know what that means? Well, it's because she was studying. She would sit in her chair and she would spend a couple of hours, two, three hours. She'd be poring over just one passage of scripture. She'd read commentary after commentary after commentary. She'd pray. She'd ask questions. She'd study it. She'd look up the original language. She downloaded apps that had the original languages in it. And I thought, wow. She was enriched. And you know what happened to the worship? It got sweeter, greater, more profound. Why? Because her understanding theologically was different. And I felt the Lord say to me today, there's somebody here. Maybe there's somebodies here. And you've been feeling a stirring about studying the scriptures, studying the word, but you, you, you don't know quite what to do. You don't even know if it's, it's just something that's flitted by. I believe the Lord wants to say to you, that's me. That's me. I want you to become a theologian. Because we should all be theologians. That's just the study of God. We should all be students of the word, all students of theology digging deep into doctrine and understanding the scriptures. And there's somebody or somebody's here. I want to encourage you. That's the Lord. Follow it up. If you want to come and talk to me afterwards, I'd be happy to pray with you and give you some tools that will help you. Devotional life means praying. It means having heart conversations with the Lord. And it means listening, letting the Lord speak to us. And that's why we have a Hearing God seminar which, by the way, just started last Tuesday. So if you want to join, we'll still let you come this Tuesday night. But after this Tuesday night, too late. You will have missed too much of the foundation. You'll have to wait till the next one we have in the spring. But hearing God trains us how to listen and get confident. Oh, that's the voice of God speaking to me in the scriptures and apart from the scriptures. And then lastly, devotions means memorizing the word of God. How many of you memorize? Oh, that's, that's wonderful. This is a lost art. It's a lost gem. Some of you are thinking, I can't do it. My mind is like a block of cement. I just can't memorize. Oh, you can memorize. I guarantee you can memorize. If you have a brain, which you do because you're sitting here this morning, 
if you have a brain, you might be a little rusty at it. But when your brain starts to get that memory going, you will take off. I'm in a discipleship group with a young guy. And I said, okay, we're going to study the word. We're going to dig deep. We're going to journal. We're going to listen to God. And we're going to memorize. He says, pastor, I can't memorize. I said, oh, why do you say that? He said, I just can't memorize. He said, I can't memorize anything. I just don't have a mind for memorizing. I said, oh, you're going to memorize. So I said, here's the first memory verse I want you to do. Is Romans 6, 11. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Short. If you can't get that, you can do one in John which says Jesus wept. That's the shortest one. But he had a little more than that. So I gave him that one. He had a week. He came back. I said, okay, time to say our memory verses. He says, Romans 6, 11. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Oh, we had a big celebration. I said, you can memorize. He said, yeah, I can. I said, okay, you got another one this week. He's memorized 15 verses now. This is a guy who said, Pastor, I can't memorize. And his brain is just getting better and better. You can even get an app called Scripture Typer. Scripture typer that'll help you memorize. I want to I give you a guarantee today. If you memorize God's word, I guarantee, I guarantee your life will be enriched. You will be amazed at what happens in your life. You're going to experience a transformation Because God's word is alive, it's powerful, and when you carry it in your heart, Psalm 119 said it actually turns us away from sin. It's the only sword you have against the devil's temptations. If you aren't using the word of God, you have no defense against the enemy's temptations, except maybe to flee. And then he'll chase behind you and harass you. Secondly, that's devotion. Secondly is obedience. Jesus said, if you keep my commands, if you obey me, you will abide in my love. Jesus' love language is obedience. My love language is acts of service. If you want to love me, mow my lawn, shovel the driveway... I feel so loved. My wife's is encouraging words. So cleaning the kitchen or doing that, that that's not a big deal. But, but encouraging words, oh, that's really big. But Jesus, Jesus' love language is not acts of service. It's not words. Jesus' love language is obedience. He said... When you obey me, you abide in my love. It's not how much we know, but how much we do with what we know. And the New Testament's full of Jesus' commands. How about this one? Number one, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Anybody accomplish that? How about this one? 
The 59 one another's, love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, trust one another, wash one another's feet. 59 of them. What about being part of a community of faith, which means being in a cell group where your life interacts with other people or using your gifts, your faith, the talents to serve? Or this one, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Those are all commands Jesus has given us. You might say, Pastor, that's impossible. I'm doomed. I'm failed. I can't do that. That's never going to happen. And you're right. You cannot obey Jesus' commands unless you have help. It takes God to love God. It takes God to obey God. And that's why Jesus said in verses 13 and 14, which brings us back to Ephesians 1, in Christ you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is our helper. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away, he won't come. When he comes, he will help you. He will enable you. He will empower you. He will teach you and guide you and lead you. You are a saint. Because you're in Christ. And to remain in Christ and to remain in that sainthood means a devotional life. It means obedience. And thank God we have help in order to accomplish that. None of us is at a disadvantage. The Holy Spirit is eager to help us. That we can cry out through him, Daddy, Father, let's stand together. Well, you have a lot to chew on. This is a take-home homework kind of thing and just say, okay, Lord, what do I need to do? If you're not happy with your devotional life, the first thing you can do is say, Jesus, what would you like to say to me about my devotional life? And let the Lord speak to you. Let me pray for us. Father, we really don't have an option to not be the church. You've called us, set us apart, enabled, empowered us, predestined us, blessed us. And we want to be your vibrant, passionate, worshiping, living church. And Lord, we want more more of your manifest presence in all we do. Thank you for making us saints. Identify the things which we still haven't separated ourselves from that actually reduce that sainthood. And Father, I pray the Holy Spirit will help us have deep, rich, 
powerful, supernatural, heavenly encounters with our Heavenly Father right here on planet Earth. Thank you for that. Amen.